Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. Reba, I actually was just going to start off with one question, which is like, what's one thing you absolutely love about procurement? Because when I speak to you, I get the sense that you actually genuinely like it. And I don't get that from a lot of people I talk to. Honestly, I think one of the coolest things about being in procurement is that we know a little bit about everything that happens at the company. I think there are so few roles that allow you to understand what's the marketing team doing? What's the engineering team doing? How is sales organized? What are the tools that they use to make them more effective? And I think that that's been really cool. You know, I've been in Mongo for six years now. And watching us grow from 800 employees to like roughly 5,000, like I've seen like all of the teams evolve around me. And I think that's probably the coolest part just and being able to help people, right? You know, stakeholders come to us in situations, whether it's either urgent or they have a need they didn't anticipate or something happened, like we can be problem solvers. I think that's cool. And I think my team appreciates that too. Like we sort of are in the know about everything just enough to know what's going on, but... Um, hopefully not having to get too in the weeds with things, which we have to from time to time, depending on what problems are. But yeah, that's why I love procurement. I just, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you feel like your team is received within Mongo? Like, is it well received? Because I talk to a lot of people where they feel like procurement is isolated from just about every part of the business. And they're often considered like a bit of a blocker or they're trying to make that inroad, right? Where they can be connected with maybe with marketing, with finance, with the software engineers and kind of talk the same language and can really help them. How are you positioned in the business? My team is split by category leads. So that way we can become experts and really build relationships with those individual stakeholders in the different areas. I think that things were different with me from day one, like week one on the job, I set the team down and I said, what's our motto? Well, ultimately what we came up with is we want to be the most friendly, helpful, can do, can solve anything team that you'll ever encounter. Because I've worked in those procurement teams where you're a blocker, you're no fun, you know, and and you have surface level information about what's happening, right? Well, but I'm not seen as someone who's helpful and can do and friendly. People won't come to me or my team early. B, how can I actually help solve a problem if I don't know at least enough to be dangerous about what my stakeholders are trying to do? And so that's been our motto all along. We've added things on like most scalable or most process, end-to-end process oriented, uh, but we've really always kept the core. We just want to be friendly and can do. And we've sort of built this reputation, honestly, that we're the first stop for people. So that's almost working against us now that we're so many employees because everyone depends on us for a number of things. But like, I think that the team takes pride in that, that people see us as problem solve. People see us as someone who, a team who is helpful and not just someone who's there to block at the end. I think that we, when we do get new employees coming in for larger organizations, it does take a while to win them over though, because I know what type of environment they're dealing with, their former companies. And we had to reset that when they come into MongoDB because we want them to feel that we're different here at Procurement in MongoDB. I've got a few questions actually. On that motto, design, had you done that anywhere else? Like, had you come across that in say your previous roles prior to Mongo? This is actually the first role where I built the team from the ground up. I've been a part of builds at multiple companies. I worked in manufacturing before. And I'd say at my first company, we did not have that type of environment. And when I moved on, I made sure that that was something that leaders also felt because listen, like the right procurement person is really just the opposite of a sales rep right? We really are friendly. We, we want to get to know you. We want to connect with you. 
on an individual basis. So as I moved to different roles, I saw the different types of hires that were being made and how that could impact the team's perception. So this is my first role where I built it from scratch and I really leaned into that. I think that like old standard companies was at a $35 billion company in my first procurement role and we did not have that. It was a an established team that was just heads down and like, you know, we're, we're blockers on everything because we want to check a box. And, you know, as I moved roles, I did not want to be a box checker and didn't want to just have surface level information. Yeah, absolutely. That's the kind of work that is going to be uh, phased out with tech really as well. So, I mean, when I took this job at Mongo roughly six years ago, there were so few procurement roles. Now every tech company has one, right? And like early on, you, you know, typically like it would happen far later than it is now. Like it's an earlier hire in that growth. So when I, about two years in, so four years ago, you know, I was reaching out to large public companies that didn't have procurement teams, you know, and now that just wouldn't happen. Pre-IPO companies are having procurement teams because they see it as a necessary role to scale. So I think that that hopefully will change the perception because I think if you're a procurement leader in tech, you have to be different. The volume is too big. New vendors is a larger percentage of your day-to-day work. Like you have to be better in tech, I think, because um, especially if you're, you know, fortunate enough to be at a company like Mongo that's growing rapidly and being successful in the market. Like I have to change every year what I'm doing and think about how I am going to prepare for two years from now. So it's a really good point of view there. Actually, like my time, like before Geekkeeper, I was in a fintech and we were building that out from the ground up. And we we're like, actually, where's this business going to be in like two, three years? How, like, how do we build process and everything that scales across the entire business as we grow from like 200 people to 500, then probably to a thousand plus or, or wherever. So uh, you have to be like two years ahead, like you say. How many people are in your procurement team? So Mongo, 5,000 people in total. We have about 15. So when we first joined, we were uh, one and a half. I had an intern and one other, well, one other employee. And now we're about 15. So we are split between procurement category owners and the purchasing coordinator team. So the purchasing coordinator team sort of like does the overflow, lower dollar contracts. That allows our procurement team to do more strategic work. We do about half of our team, or I guess a third of our team is that purchasing coordinator team that's handling those lower dollar contracts. And and one note that I've done here that's slightly different from a lot of my peers, each team member, if they are assigned, whether it's a new vendor or a requisition that's coming through, they own it from end to end. So we don't, this type of person does customer facing or uh, vendor facing or stakeholder facing work. And this other person does the back end. Like I've specifically designed the team and to handle end to end. And what that's allowed me to do is think about how to make things more scalable. So I'm not solving manual problems with headcount. I'm actually solving it with tools or integrations or automations or UI path, things like that. And I think that that's something that I'm doing different than some of my peers are doing. That lower level team ideally just moves up and up and up. The threshold is we automate and we update our policy. If my rule of thumb is if I can click a button and get it done, I'm going to automate it. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of comes out to your early point, right? Where in your your first round in procurement, where people are just doing stuff to tick boxes that work just isn't needed. In terms of the end-to-end management of your procurement team members, like why do you think people don't do that? Because that's the approach that we had in the fintech that I was at. Like everyone handles it from a request, onboarding, the contract management, performance management, every single piece, they build up those relationships. And like you said, uh, as you build better processes, automate, it just works, right? And when you've only got 15 people, for 5,000, right? Why do you think people aren't thinking about that and they seem to have like post-signature handoffs on so much? I think it's because you have to do that. You have to invest an enormous amount of time on your tools and your process. 
and procurement's not sales, right? So we have to be a little bit more scrappy, right? So oftentimes it's easier to hire inexpensive headcounts to solve process and systems issues than it is to say, hey, I'm going to work with my business systems team, let them know what I'm trying to do, be creative, fight for resources internally with FinOps operations. So that way, procurements, integrations are prioritized over marketing or sales, right? And that's hard, right? Because we're competing. But in the end, it actually makes it a lot better for everyone, including the individuals that have been hired, right? They have real roles with real career paths with like, they're excited to show up every day. They're not just like, oh, let me take this document, send it for signature, make sure it's done and then upload it and do yada, yada, right? Like, it's like, no, when I hit a button to send for signature, I want all of that to happen automatically. And I want it to be automatically moved through three different systems and the tag to my PO and have that issue. Like, why would I have a, a person doing that? But that took, that takes a lot of work. That takes a year of tool design. So I think that that's probably why a lot of people don't do it. I think it's a fight for resources and inexpensive headcounts are inexpensive headcounts. But, but it's not, I don't think it's the right thing to do in the long run. Yeah, or follow-up questions there. The first one is more around the skill set. So what kind of skill set do you think you have to, I guess, that stands you apart from people that don't think like that, that enables you to, to be so like process orientated, but not at, in a way in which means like, oh, I'm just going to do another like lucid diagram that uh, documents this really manual process. Like how, how are you thinking about this? I think I'm persistent. I think that by nature, I probably enjoy more operational work than other people. I also enjoy putting five tools on a table and mapping out this field means this and that system and that, and we should automate them, right? But like most people would say, oh, my business systems team should do that, but they don't have the industry. Oftentimes that person doesn't have the industry knowledge to understand how to do that appropriately, right? So I probably just like it, but also I just think that like the willingness to like roll up my sleeves and really be like, no, like this is solvable. Like let's figure this out. I also spent a lot of time researching, you know, tools, like I said, UiPath or anything like that. Like basically, like I said, if it can be clicked on a keyboard, it can be done via automation. And so I invested a lot of time in understanding integration technology, automation technology, because there's just nothing out there. There's no one procurement tool that does everything that we need at even 70%, right? Like there are tools that advertise that they can do it, but really like it's like 30% for one area and 20%, that also creates a lot of manual problems. It's underwhelming, right? It is, yeah. And so most people do segmented tools and don't integrate or automate them which is why they end up with a lot of manual processes that creates a lot of manual work. Yeah, I was talking to a lot of people at Digital Procurement World in Amsterdam and like so many were just talking to me about like, we have all these ERPs, we have all of these new, like these procurement tech solutions that we brought in, nothing's talking to one another and it's just chaos. And like my first thought is always like, do you not like think about these challenges up front? And like, to your point. This is new though, like a lot of the peers. I'm being a little bit harsh. Uh, yeah, no, a lot of my peers is the first time they're doing it. Or even if it isn't their first time, the technology is so new, right? So maybe this is their second time, but in five years, the whole slew of procurement technology is basically all different, right? So like something that worked in the past isn't going to work today. So effectively, no matter how many years of procurement or tech procurement you have, like you're in a new role today. There's so many tools like when I joined six years ago that didn't exist, you know, and they all exist now and Lots of people are using them, but no one has quite captured a tool that can do everything that a procurement or a procure-to-pay procure team needs at like some level of acceptance, in my opinion. 
is the tech market has ultimately been underserved by tech vendors, right? At least the last 20 years. And a lot of the tech is uh, outdated already. Um, but like to your point, there's a lot of tech that didn't exist six years ago. And there'll probably be a load of new tech coming out, probably with Gen AI at its core, which will be super interesting. But in terms of your like process design, like it's come back, like I've worked with in a lot of organizations, probably like your first one, where it was like the process is going to be this, everyone's going to follow it. And what typically happens is everyone doesn't follow it. They find any way to circumvent it because it's arduous, it's not clear. There's no clear way to do intake. So like, what's your approach to bringing in your stakeholders from across your business to work closely with them to figure out like, actually, we're here to, like you mentioned earlier, like we're friendly, we can do, we're here to help you. Like how does that actually manifest in, in practice around processes? Yeah, well, first of all, it's not easy. Getting buy-in is very difficult. But you know, when we first started, we, we held a lot of listening sessions. So what is your day-to-day like? What are your core needs? And not just with our stakeholders. So not just with the marketing team, not just with the executive assistants who are, those two groups are our highest volume users, but also with like security, governance, risk and compliance, the legal team, you name it, right? So anyone sort of involved in the ethers of the procure to pay process, we said like, what are your pain points? And what we did is we sort of created this like, what we call like gaps. I'm big on this. We, every year we do big gap analysis and we say, what's a systems issue, a process issue or a communications issue. And so we kind of iterate that throughout the years, but to start with, we said, pay how can we kill a bunch of birds with one stone, right? So how can we give marketing a dashboard that helps them in their day-to-day world so they want to use my systems? How can I get securities requirements into my vendor review so I have less friction in the new vendor onboarding process? So we definitely haven't done it perfect. We're constantly iterating. In fact, we just recently did a voice of customer interview with our heaviest users just to make sure that we didn't have any more improvements to make, which we do, a spoiler alert. But, you know, we really tried to say, what issues are you having? How can we solve them, right? And then we'd be honest. We'd say, well, okay, sorry, sales ops. Like, this won't quite solve your problems, but, like, we can get it done faster if you follow this process and you won't have blockers. Now, once they've gotten bought in, right, they're coming back to us and saying, hey, can we do this cool thing? That would be really helpful, right? And we try to make it possible. So we really tried to create this environment where it's like, this is not procurement. This is not AP. This is not just procure to pay. This is what do you need? How can I solve your problems within, you know, what I can control in that P2P space? And I think it's been great. I think one of the things that my peers do, and not just in procurement, around the company, right? Remember, I signed every professional services engagement and every software deal at this company. So I know what's happening just enough, like I said, to be dangerous. People don't iterate. They launch a tool and say, I launched it, right? Because it's painful every six months or every year to say, all right, how can I make this better? And like I said, I may or may not drive my business systems team nuts, but we end up ultimately with an incredible product and incredible process that is allowing us to scale as a business and allowing us to hire headcount selectively. And that's not just for our team, right? Remember, the marketing team now has data at their fingertips that they just hit one button. Maybe they don't need a data analyst to build dashboards. Maybe that already exists in one of the P2P tools that I have, right? So it's sort of, it starts out as, hey, tell me what you need. Let me build that. You iterate on it year quarter over quarter if you're growing as fast as we were. And you build that trust. And then they start to see, oh, if I just work with them, if I get my information in the P2P tools, I actually have a benefit for it. And, you know, I, I think that's really powerful. And that's where, like, where the relationship really starts to be. They're not just friendly. They're actually thinking about how I can scale better than without them, which brings that buy-in to like a higher level. Yeah, that last point you just made about like making sure your teams around you 
they can scale and perhaps save a little bit of headcount. But it gets to a point right where, you know, I guess at MongoDB, where obviously profit massively uh, is important in a, such a competitive area that you're in. It's like a, it's a hard area and you're doing really well there. Can you optimize? Can you save a little bit of money on process, on the, the people you bring in? Or like you said, selective headcount, bring the right people in that are going to make a difference. I think this is actually where procurement leaders need to lean in, right? Is because it's like, hey, it is not the world that I entered tech in six years ago doesn't exist today, right? Like it's a whole new ball game. And like the instant the economy changed, like all this, you know, what's that saying? Like all of a sudden I've become a very important individual. We had always made ourselves that, right? But now is like the time to lean in. If you made some mistakes in the past, like lean in and go figure out what are the gaps? Like haven't, you know, bring in an independent consultant to do those interviews if you think that will yield better feedback. Like reestablish the relationship because- a lot of the information we have, you know, especially for certain high volume stakeholders, like it's information that they need. And they're probably replicating that in some other way when we have it at our finger. And trust me, if you can save a couple of headcount from a leader, right? Like they will force their team to use the product, you know, and hopefully they'll enjoy it. Right. I want to make that clear. But yeah, it's just, it's a lot of iteration and it, right now it's time to lean in because team size is being scrutinized and headcounts. And funding or not coming in, it's easy no matter what company you are and how, how big you are pre-IPO, post-IPO. Like we have to all sharpen our pencils and procurement is really in a unique position to capitalize on that and to really help companies. Yeah. It's, by the way, like it's super interesting listening to you talk because you talk about procurement unlike 90% of people that will talk with about procurement. So just on that, it's amazing. And that was a really cool actionable framework that I think almost anyone even if they don't have, like, I think you're a testament that you've got 15 people in a business of 5,000 in a really high growth competitive area and you're, you're able to do it. So it kind of calls out people who can't do it. Like it, there's probably something else holding them back there. Reba, I was just going to finish off here with just a few, like these are just quick fire questions, but like how many like vendors and contracts are your team like responsible for? I'd say everything that is not salary at this company we cover. Um, so we have pretty much 100% touch. We have a certain level of contracts for like events and stuff that goes through T&E process. But yeah, we're 100% touch um, outside of salaries effectively. So between like the travel side and... That's huge. <laughs> oh yeah, it's been a hard battle, which is why I have been forced to have to figure out scalable processes. That's amazing. And this is the last question that we ask every guest, which is, I want you to imagine that I'm a procurement genie. What would your one wish be to improve procurement in some way very quickly? One tool that can do everything at 100%. Not everyone even talks about tools. Not everyone that we have on here, I guess like for context, not everyone that comes on is even tech focused yet. Some are super early on. But typically everyone that we have on here has an aspiration to start working in this way. So it's like we're trying to capture that journey. And that's why I was really keen to speak to you after speaking to Michelle Vita as well at Datadog. Because like the two of you in particular have done a lot in this space at the other end of that journey. Yeah, she's uh, another one of my gal pal power gals, um, if, I, what I, if I do say so about her. But yeah, no, I think that like, it's, I guess some advice I give to some like early stage companies is like, listen, I started with nothing. Literally, we had nothing. Right. Like we started with a G sheet that we said, all right, anything that you're working on, put it in here. Right. Like step one, build data for yourself, because if you can't somehow quantify level of work increasing or, you know, maybe shadow IT that you're not able to touch and, and things like that, like how can you actually effectively build? How can you have, like build an effective plan to ask for more headcount? Right. Or to ask for tools or to ask for investments. And I think where like a lot of people go wrong is you have like analysis paralysis. It's like, nope. Start with a simple list. What is everybody doing? 
what are they covering and try to uncover through expenses or working with AP, like what am I not covering? What am I not covering that I should be covering? And you have to slowly build the facts. I tell this to my team all the time. You want to fight with facts, not feelings, right? So if I have no facts because I haven't tracked anything, how do I have a fair fight that I'm just going in that I feel overwhelmed? You need to go in and say, hey, month over month, my team's workload is growing by X, Y, Z. I need tools to do this. I need business system support. And, you know, I need a team size that reflects what the business wants to take on. And also, you know, that has to do with the risk level of the company, right? So we have 100% touch because we have a low risk tolerance. So like, I can't make magic. I'm not a genie. I'm not a procurement genie. I can't make 100% coverage happen with zero people and zero tools. It's just, I'd be losing people left and right because it would be a miserable job. But the worst work you could ever. Be the worst all the time. But like, it starts small. So like, if anyone's out there, you know, with their don't know where to start. It's like, just start tracking stuff. Start building your business case month over month, quarter over quarter. Do some, what I call investigative journalism to figure out like, what do you not know that you should know? You know, and then go from there, like be working with leadership. But it takes a while. Like it took me a year and a half to get our PO system. A year and a half. Like we almost went into COVID without a P. Imagine that. And honestly, imagine that, right? Like, but it took me a year and a half. Now, like, that I build that credibility and built my business case year over year. Like when I ask for something, show them the proof, I show them how it's going to scale. And they say, yes, you know, but it took a year and a half of fighting with facts to, to get the first initial trigger done. So it does take a long time, but I hope that my peers today are in better positions than I was six years ago when procurement was still a relatively new function for, for high growth tech companies. So Reba, I just want to say thank you. That was awesome. And uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Daniel. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.